BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. of Peru, part seven. If last episode was a story of inertia, of an uneasy limbo lasting for nine months before finally boiling over, today's episode sees much more in the way of action. The Spanish had obviously manoeuvred themselves into a position of power, holding the emperor hostage. They were able to go around sacking various important Inca cities and temples without retribution, but they did not control much land beyond their small settlement on the coast and Cajamarca, where they had based themselves. While killing Atahualpa may have nullified any threat that he posed through his loyalists, real or imagined, it also meant that their control would now face a test. One possible scenario was that the Inca might react with outrage to the murder of their leader. Even if they didn't, the Spanish had now lost their bargaining chip. They had calculated that Atahualpa himself posed the biggest threat, and that their relationship with other factions within the empire was strong enough to survive the loss of their captive. They would play the game of political intrigue, and they believed that they could win. The real test would be the reaction to their decision to play kingmaker and select a new emperor. Being allowed to do so would be a step forward in their consolidation of power and a sign that they were really in control. They selected one of Atahualpa's many half-brothers, a man named Tupahuaipa, and proclaimed him emperor. They judged him to be easy to control. The ceremony was a hybrid affair. Tupahuaipa was brought out into Cajamarca's square flanked by Inca nobles. He stood, however, under a Spanish royal banner and was proclaimed both emperor and a subject of the Spanish king. Their power grab seems to have worked. The lords of Cusco did not protest and they made no moves against the Spanish. Pizarro finally decided to move and to do some of the colonizing which he had promised the king. 
they would go to Cusco so that Tupahuaypa could reside in the traditional seat of power, thus building his legitimacy. The idea was to present him as the victorious emperor and to present the gold that the Spanish had collected as the spoils of his successful campaign against Huascar and his supporters. The Spanish had got away with it because they were using the old divide-and-conquer strategy. Despite both Atahualpa and Huasca now being dead, the divisions which their civil war had created still existed, and the Spanish were doing everything in their power to maintain them. While Huasca may have seemed an irrelevance when they first arrived, now the situation had changed, and his loyalists had recovered. There was a strong north-south divide. The south, and Cusco in particular, was where Huascar's supporters were based. They had their own candidate in mind for emperor, another brother. The north was the stronghold of Atahualpa loyalists, and they argued that his son should take control. It seemed that both would largely settle for Pizarro's choice for now, although presumably they all thought that this was a temporary measure. Not everyone accepted the arrangement, however. Last week, I briefly mentioned one of Atahualpa's generals, Kiskis. It was not the one who Hernando Pizarro went looking for. He was the one in Cusco, who did not stop them looting the city, but who made his contempt known by refusing to meet or engage with the Spanish. We don't know when Kiskis was born, but we do know that he was an experienced soldier, having led troops for Huayna Capac, and then when he died, choosing Atahualpa's side. He became Atahualpa's most important general. As the Spanish made their way slowly south through the mountains, and over roads damaged by the civil war, they would hear rumours that Kiskis was planning to attack them. At roughly the halfway point of their march to Cusco, outside the town of Huauja, they spotted some of Kiskis's soldiers, ahead of them marching in the same direction, and this confirmed to them that he was up to something. The orders given to Kiskis's soldiers were to destroy the city. Doing so would deny it to the Spanish, but it would also be a punishment to the population who had supported Huascar during the civil war. The Spanish rushed after them, and arrived as the sacking of the city was in progress. They surprised Kiskis's men and drove them out. They did this with the help of the city's population, but they were too late to stop the destruction. Kiskis himself was nowhere to be seen. Two strange things happened in Huauca as the Spanish regrouped there. First, Pizarro decided that this would become his new base and he declared it the temporary capital of his new viceroyalty. This decision was strange, because to start with the city was freshly destroyed, and would need much more rebuilding than any of a number of other options. It was also exposed in relatively unknown territory, which would make it hard to defend. He would have to leave some of his men there, who would feel both aggrieved at missing out on future opportunities to plunder, and unsafe in a place that, despite being declared the new capital, for the moment was a remote outpost. Pizarro would of course have less troops to defend himself if he needed them. 
The second unexpected event was that his new emperor, Tupac Wiper, suddenly and quickly became ill. It wasn't long before he was dead. There was a belief that Atahualpa loyalists were somehow responsible for this, but there was no way of proving it. Once again, the debate about who should replace him was reopened. With Tupac Huayper, the Spanish had made a decision, and for better or for worse, he could have been presented, and they could say that the decision had already been made. Whether this all fell apart in the long term was another story. But it had, for the most part, and with Kiskis appearing to be a notable exception, stifled potential disagreement. Now they found themselves having to rehash the problem again. And it was more of a problem this time. At Huelca, they had representatives of both factions surrounding them, both sides presenting a candidate. The northern Atahualpa loyalists still wanted his son to be made emperor. The Cusco faction wanted their chosen half-brother. What the Spanish should do was unclear. Perhaps they could placate Kiskis by choosing Atahualpa's son. Perhaps they needed to take a strong line against the northern faction for possibly poisoning Tupac Wiper. Which of the two factions appeared stronger? And to be honest, the fact that either were letting them be involved in this and not turning on them was quite strange. So which faction seemed less inclined to do just that? Pizarro spent his time talking to everyone, telling the northern leaders about how he had formed a great friendship with Atahualpa and how sad he was that he'd been betrayed. Whether this convinced anyone is unknown. A plan developed in Pizarro's mind. He would play both sides, and give the northern faction enough faith in his intentions to get Atahualpa's son physically under his control. The son was just a child, so he would be easy to control. Doing this would recreate the hostage situation he had engineered with Atahualpa himself, and it should, hopefully, dissuade the Northerners from any attack. He could then align himself with the Cusco faction. A few days ago, I arrived back in Bogota, Colombia. I'm delighted to be back in Latin America, surrounded by all the sights and sounds I love. It's been a while since I was here, though, and my Spanish has become a little rusty. If you've ever learned a language for a trip abroad, to connect with family and friends, or simply just for the fun of it, you might know what I mean. To help get me back up to scratch, I've been using Rosetta Stone. It's been perfect for this, allowing me to pick up at the level that I'm at, rather than starting from the beginning. And as it's available on both desktop and as an app on my phone, and lessons can be downloaded for use when not connected to the internet, I've been able to make use of time spent on planes and buses. I've already noticed a difference as I engage in conversations with locals and navigate everyday interactions in shops, restaurants and museums. Its true accent speech recognition feature has helped me to perfect my pronunciation and encouraged me to think in Spanish as well as just attempting to speak it. Over 30 years, Rosetta Stone has perfected its language learning method to create a program which is immersive, intuitive, and designed to promote long-term retention. It's also great value, with its current half-price membership giving you access to 25 languages for life. Don't put off learning that language. 
there's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Latin American History Podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. The whole group, minus those Spaniards left behind, continued on to Cusco, with the decision unmade. Pizarro hadn't yet implemented his plan. Alongside the Spanish were the lords of both sides, and Pizarro's indigenous allies. On the way, they found that Kiskis' army was doing everything it could to impede their progress. Bridges had been destroyed, as had aqueducts and food stores. Soon they found themselves under attack, as soldiers would ambush them in the mountains, before disappearing before they could properly respond. Spanish military success so far had been down to their use of horses, armour and guns. These had created both an initial fear in the Inca that they had fought, and an uncertainty about how to counter them once the fear had subsided. While these attacks on the road to Cusco were not hugely significant, they were successful. Quisquis had worked out how to deal with the Spanish militarily, and what's more, he might be showing the Inca lords who accompanied them that it could be done. It was starting to become obvious that no matter what they did to appease the northern faction, Kiskis would not accept it. He wanted them gone. At the Vilcaconga Pass, a narrow and easily defensible gap in the mountains, Kiskis decided to fight an open battle. He blocked the pass with a section of his army, and the Spanish would have to fight their way through. This was a test. Despite being in Peru for so long, Spanish military activity had consisted of raiding up to this point. They had been prepared for battle at Cajamarca, but their ambush worked so successfully that they hadn't really been tested. This time, for the first time, they were up against an army who had initiated the battle, and who had done so in a place of their choosing. An army which had got over their initial fear of the horses and gunfire, and which now had some experience of countering them. Pizarro had sent some of his men ahead, so Kiskis' soldiers were not fighting his main force. To reach their enemy, the Spanish had to ride up a long mountain slope, meaning that they and their horses were already tired when the fighting started. Things looked bad for them, and it looked like they were going to have to retreat. They decided to pretend that this is exactly what they were doing, before, halfway down the slope, turning and surprising the Inca with a charge of their own. This was just enough to provoke a temporary halt to the fighting. Kiskis' soldiers climbed back up the hill and made camp for the night, while the Spanish did the same where they were. All throughout the night, the Inca shouted down threats about how many reinforcements would arrive in the morning. The battle was never resumed, however. In the morning, it was Pizarro who arrived, and the Inca soldiers decided that they would be better off fighting another day. It was not far to Cusco now, where clearly the Spanish would face a battle to dislodge a hostile Kiskis. 
Pizarro did send some of the nobles of the northern faction ahead to try and convince him to talk, but he probably knew that it was unlikely to have any impact. Soon they were attacked again by small bands of Kiskis's men. Things were changing politically. Although Kiskis appeared to be acting independently, his resistance reflected badly on the northern faction in the eyes of the Spanish. From their point of view, making the northerners feel favoured, and doing so to see off conflict, was pointless if that conflict was already occurring. The uneasy web of politics which had held everything roughly stable since the death of Tupac Huayper was starting to unravel. Pizarro had come to the conclusion that he would be best served by fully aligning himself to Cusco, something he'd been planning to do in the future anyway. The final impetus for this came when on the approach to the city, one of the royal family came to him with a proposal. Manco Yupanqui was another half-brother of Huascar, Atahualpa and Tupac Huayper. During the civil war, he'd been seen as a threat to Atahualpa as he had both aligned himself to Huascar and, of course, had just as much of Huayna Capac's blood as Atahualpa did. The Cusco faction had now chosen him as their preferred leader, and with this backing, he went to Pizarro and suggested that both work together to take Cusco from Quisquis. Then they could destroy the influence of the wider northern faction, pronounce him emperor, and maintain the privileged position the Spanish had manoeuvred themselves into. This worked for Pizarro. While the Cusco faction had seemed content enough to let him pull strings and make decisions, this arrangement seemed to give him more security, with a greater degree of confidence that they wouldn't turn on him, for now at least. Together, they would get rid of their common enemy, the most dangerous he had encountered so far, and both sides could always turn on each other later, once their position was stronger. First, however, they had to recapture Cusco itself. Together, they chose a place to camp for the night, ready to attempt to enter the city the next morning. The battle didn't go as planned. As they marched towards the edge of the city, they found nothing. They entered it, and still there was no sign of their enemy. Perhaps they feared an ambush, as they must have seen eerie reversed parallels with Cajamarca. But no, Kiskis was not inside. He had snuck away, having clearly decided that he would be better off fighting elsewhere. The Spanish occupied the royal palaces in the centre of the city. This gave them somewhere to defend should Kiskis appear, or the population reject them, or if the Cusco faction betrayed them. It also lowered the chance of that last possibility, as Manco Yupanqui would not be given the space to plot anything. By being physically in the seat of power, they kept themselves there politically. A ceremony was hastily arranged, and the new emperor was announced. They still faced great danger and uncertainty. But once again, Pizarro had managed to take another big step towards control of Peru. You've been listening to the Latin American History Podcast, written and recorded by Max Sargent. For more information, visit the website 
www.maxargent.com slash the history of Latin America. And that's spelt M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to get in contact at historyoflatinamericapodcast at gmail.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching for the Latin American History Podcast. The Twitter handle is at HistoryLatinAM. And if you've liked the show, you can help out by leaving a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you visit the website, you'll see that each episode is accompanied by relevant photos. Most of these are my own, taken during my time in Latin America. All these photos and more are available to purchase as prints at my Etsy shop. You can find this at www.etsy.com slash photo. That's spelt www.etsy.com slash M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T photo. Thanks for listening. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.